The Lord be with you. And with A reading from the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew. Glory Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side, while he would send the crowds away. After sending the crowds away, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, while the boat by now, far out on the lake, was battling with a heavy sea, for there was a headwind. In the fourth watch of the night, he went towards them, walking on the lake, and when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But at once Jesus called out to them, saying, Courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. It was Peter who answered, Lord, he said, If it is you, tell me to come to you across the water. Come, said Jesus. Then Peter got out of the boat and started walking towards Jesus across the water. But as soon as he felt the force of the wind, he took fright and began to sink. Lord, save me, he cried. Jesus put out his hand at once and held him. Men of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And as they, all, as they got into the boat, the wind dropped. The men in the boat bowed down before him and said, Truly, you are the Son of God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. We've just come to the end of National Vocations Awareness Week. Um, young friends, do you know what vocation is, what we mean by vocations and what this week was about? It's the fact that God calls us. The word vocation comes from the Latin vocare, which means to call or to summons. And who do you think might be calling or summoning you but the Lord himself? In faith, we know that God calls each of us to something particular. This is a firm conviction we have in faith. We're not strangers to God. We're not hidden from God. God actually has a plan for each of us. We know that, don't we? The universal call to all of us is the call to holiness. This is repeated throughout the scriptures. Be holy as I, the Lord, am holy. Your baptismal call is a call to holiness, to being immersed in the wonder of God's own life. And by virtue of your intimate relationship of God to constantly grow in holiness, it's a call that never ends. We're constantly growing in this relationship with God. But after that universal call, the church has a sense that God calls us to a particular vocational state in life. And do we know what those are? There's four of them that the church puts in our minds. Young people, do you have any idea what these vocations might be? One is married life. Married life is actually a vocation, matrimony. Uh, it's, a, it's a great mission. It's a, it's a very heavy mission as well, I, I, I understand from what I've seen. Then, this is in no particular order, by the way, but then there's the priesthood. God calls some of us to this particular mission. God calls us to live out a life in that vocational state, some of us. Then there's what's called the religious life or the consecrated life. And there are religious priests, like Carmelite priests or Dominican priests or priests of a religious order. Our own Marist priests who are here, they were religious priests. They got to sort of fulfill both vocations beautifully. Um, but, but religious are not just priests. There's also missionaries who live off in 
very difficult corners of the world, like Mother Teresa living in the slums, or uh, St. Francis, a kind of nomad preaching the gospel uh, in Assisi, and so on. And then finally, the fourth vocation is probably the most elusive or vague, but all of us start out here. I think the church calls it the single generous life in Christ, which means you're not really wedded to anything in particular, but you are still living out the call to holiness, and hopefully in radical ways, trying to say yes again and again to Jesus, who is always calling. Okay, so we have the universal call to holiness. We're all common on that ground. Then there's particular vocational states, one of the four. And then, of course, there's God whispering to us every single day. He's calling us to be patient with this particular person or to be generous in this particular scenario or to be you know, um, faithful uh, in, in this or that scene. Um, our whole lives are vocational, really. God is constantly directing and prompting and, and supporting us in whatever it is exactly he's calling us each to. Sometimes it's inconvenient, but, um, but it is always good. It's always good to follow the Lord's voice. If we want to hear God's voice most clearly, what might we do? Should we just blaze through life and hopefully God interrupts us? Because that happens, but usually things have gone pretty astray for that to happen. God intervenes in, in powerful ways, um, like the three phenomenon on the mountain of Horeb. That's not usually how God likes to encounter us. If we want to hear God's voice more clearly, we have to seek alone time with him, like Jesus in today's gospel. In short, to use the scriptural image, we have to go up the mountain. This is always symbol or code for alone time with God, a kind of encounter with the divine. This is what the scriptures seem to advise again and again. They advised it last Sunday. You'll remember Jesus on Mount Tabor, the transfiguration, and, and today as well. But it isn't as straightforward as going up there and you'll hear him, is it? I mean, who has heard God clearly every single time they've hushed their lives? Sometimes it's a bit more complicated than that, isn't it? So we go up the mountain, but we have to realize, well, why are we going up there? There's a number of reasons why we would climb the mountain. And then secondly, once we go up there, what should we look for? What should we listen for? These are good questions. Remember back to the transfiguration. Who was there? Did Jesus call the whole multitude up to the top of the mountain? No. Did Jesus call even the 12, which is a pretty select crew? No. Peter, James, and John, just an intimate, tiny little band of, of those closest to him. That tells us that there's something about vocation which is very privileged. God doesn't blast the megaphone when he calls us, but he comes intimately, tenderly, and almost whispers, almost imperceptibly in our ear. And in fact, we're told that what they see, that privileged glance, they're to keep to themselves until the resurrection. This tells us that there's something let's say, unrushed about vocation. We're not supposed to be hasty about it in the, in the crude sense. Yes, we should be prompt, but maybe there's waiting involved in a true vocation. And of course, they came down from the mountain because the vocation is never to stay up on the top of the mountain. Um, we remember Peter's embarrassing words. I'll confess, 
I seriously loved my own time in the seminary because the seminary was a beautiful time of fraternity, six years with brothers of, of a very similar, um, well, we were all doing the same thing. We were discerning whether God was calling us to the priesthood. Uh, we enjoyed lots of laughter. We prayed together. We ate together. We challenged each other. Sometimes we wept together because there were um, dark times in the seminary, times of struggle and, and confrontation with God and with each other and with ourselves. But it was a rich time. It was, in some ways, the, the best time of my life, in some ways. But all of us, I hope, at the seminary, we're keenly aware that God was not calling us to stay in the seminary. Like, being in the seminary was not our vocation. <laughs> The, the seminary is, by definition, a place of transition. It's a place to pass through. And hopefully, while we're there, we, we have this keen awareness of God speaking, and we hear and respond. All of us, I hope, knew this. The seminary was precisely um, a place to, to move on from. We heard God, yes, in the study, yes, in the times of prayer, yes, during our mealtimes, and, and, and in a whole lot of other ways. But hopefully more than that, and I think the six years provided for it, we heard God most personally in those sort of nothing times, you know, walking to the chapel early in the morning and no one else is around, or sitting out in the gardens, or preparing dinner while the rest of them are studying and I'm with my headphones in, you know, cooking something. In those nothing times, God was still speaking, and hopefully we were still listening. Vocation means listening to God who calls us to brave all of the somethings and the nothings and somehow speaks mysteriously in all of it. Um, I'm reminded too of some of the brothers that I discerned with or some of those who were always sort of flirting with the idea of coming to the seminary. They never quite came, but they were always hanging around when we were at events. Um, and they would say that they felt called to the monastic life, but they described it in a very let's say, fantastical way. They said, oh, I'd love to go and stay in the monastery up in the mountains, you know, and there'd be nothing to bother me except I'd be working in the garden and I'd be praying and I'd be reading. To be sure, God calls people to the monastery. Like, that's a, that's a vocational state, religious life. But more often than not with, with these brothers of ours, it didn't really seem like a vocation. It seemed more like a fantasy. You know, it's like someone who says, oh, I wish I could spend all my life in Hawaii just, you know, gay, bathing in the sun and looking at the beautiful scenes. We have graced time of holiday. That's not our vocation. It's a graced time, like the transfiguration. It lasts for a moment, and then we're called back down to life, aren't we? Um, and also, I'll say this, if we are called to those seemingly fantastic states in life, like let's say we're called to the monastery, in fact, well, we're going to find that there are crosses to greet us over there as well. Uh, if there is a genuine vocation, there will be crosses to be found. Because Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. He doesn't say, hey, let's teleport to paradise. He says, we're going to have to cross the bridge of wood and nail. So there's going to be unexpected crosses everywhere that we are going to have to encounter and carry. Anyway, let's talk briefly about the mountains that we encounter this Sunday because they're different from Tabor. Firstly, there's Horeb, where we heard Elijah. The word Horeb comes from the word glowing or heat. It, it describes the presence of God on the mountain, doesn't it? 
But it's also referred to as Mount Sinai, which comes from the word sin. It's related to the word sin. It's amazing, isn't it? The one mountain is simultaneously the glowing presence of God and the sinful confusion and frailty of God's people. At once, both. And as we look at the stories that unravel there, yeah, both took place. Great moments of holiness and wonder. Great moments of, let's say, human silliness at the least. Um, of course, Moses received the commandments there. Moses saw the burning bush there, etc., etc. Many things happened there. Today we hear Elijah. Why did Elijah go up Mount Horeb? Well, he was retreating. He was fatigued or he was overwhelmed or, or a combination of those kinds of things. He was really at the end of his rope. And perhaps he simply needed to experience God in a tangible way again. So up he went. What follows is a powerful allegory for faith and prayer. When we seek out God, what do we expect? When Elijah sought out God in his most desperate time, what did he expect? How many times have you heard the sentiment, if God is real, he should just give me some kind of clear sign. He should write a message in the sky for me. That, that's good. God can do that, and he would want to do that because he wants me to know him. So I'll wait for that. This is a mistaken impulse, isn't it? Because, for one, God has written in the sky. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The earth shows forth the work of his hands. Hello. Um, God has written his message everywhere, if we have the eyes to see it. So there's a fallacy right off the bat. But also, what is God's end game? What is God's end game? It's not that we'd simply intellectually assent to his existence. This is... This is basic. Even animals do that. <laughs> um, God's end game is far deeper than that. God wants to draw us, all of our humanity, mind you, into the strange romance of sharing in his divine life. He wants all of us to share in all of him. That's a profound, ongoing story that, that takes a long time. It, it doesn't happen... You can't dot point that kind of a journey. You can't write it in the sky and expect to, to somehow take it all in at once. We're being drawn into that slowly. And so God oftentimes is subtle, gently whispering, gently cajoling. Rather, all of us have to meet him uh, in, in his own time. And when I say all of us, I do mean all of us, including our most hidden parts, our most sensitive parts, our most fragile parts, even those parts that are bruised and broken and marred, all of us must meet with all of him, which takes really all of life. We retreat from fatigue, from fatigue. We retreat from the overwhelming bigness of life. And what do we see when God does encounter us? A strong, heavy wind rending the mountains and crushing the rocks, an earthquake, fire, God forces us to be patient, to, to look past these really distractions. We can't devote, let's say, three minutes a day to prayer and expect to move past them. Because what kind of relationship is going to be formed in that way? Like God is with us always. So somehow we have to be with him always. We must um, move past our own uh, impatience and come to the weighty reality that God is. God is always, everywhere. 
God is, um, God is, God is controlling everything, and he's, desi- he's deigned to visit us uh, even now. We know he is with us not because of some external sign. There is no sensory data to confirm that for us, because God is not that kind of a God. But it's true that God is with you. You get to know it in faith, which is a real knowledge. It's a deep knowledge. You get to exercise the virtue of faith, which is difficult, but trust me, it's better than God breaking in in the whirlwind and in the uh, earthquake and in the inferno. It's better that he is subtly with us all the time. It's better that we go searching for him and that we find him in ways that we don't expect and in a manner that we don't expect. Finally, vocation tells us that trials will come. Look at the disciples in the boat. This time, it's not someone encountering God up the mountaintop, but rather God himself is in the mountains while his people are below, uh, missioning on, trying to follow his directives. Again, there's an allegory here. Think of the mystical body of Christ. Us, the body, Jesus, the head of that mystical body. In this allegory, Jesus, the head of the church, has ascended into heaven and is interceding, is praying for his people, overlooking them, guiding them, blessing them, even as they go through tumultuous times. And we, the body, sort of toil. Like the still small breeze, Jesus is with them, but perhaps not in the way they would like. But he certainly is with them. And we might even say the allegory applies to us and our families. Uh, While our little ones may not always be directly under our arms, we might be up the mountain far away from them, but we're still with them somehow, aren't we? Praying for them, guiding them. I even mean it for those who have gone before us, who've passed from this life to the next. While they're not physically with us in the ways that we we might hope they are, we are with them, they are with us, and we are supporting each other by our prayers. We are, in fact, making each other holy in the day-to-day, in the still nothings and in the somethings that we get to occupy ourselves with. Vocation, finally, is about trusting God who calls us through all of the contours of life, through light and dark, through subtle and dramatic, through rugged and smooth, through the crowded and through the lonely, to find that he truly is God beyond all telling. He is good And we can trust him. In fact, we need to slowly learn to trust him more and more and more. That we may see his loving kindness unexpectedly and yet constantly at work in our lives.